When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day, another development in the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. Be a part of Amber and Ian Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Call us, 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. On the intro, that was the voice of Aaron Goldhammer. He, though, is Ian Fitzsimmons, back in the saddle on his own show, as he should be. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive. So, Ian, is there anybody younger that you would be starstruck by? Uh, I'm 51. Yeah. Hell yeah. A lot. Uh, so there, there's uh, the list is probably too long to even get into. But yeah, absolutely. Because I was thinking Aaron and I were having this conversation on Friday about what's the most starstruck you've ever been. And in this business, it's hard because you're exposed to a lot of people that are considered famous, a lot of people who have had a lot of success in their lives. So you get a little bit more immune to it, I think. So athlete wise, I have a hard time getting starstruck, right? I haven't worked in the entertainment space. So his reference there to Madonna, I feel like I would probably be a little bit starstruck in a room like that. But I was thinking I don't with younger stars, though, I don't know if it would be the same for me. Like I, when I think starstruck, I think everybody who I grew up watching. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I, I get it, uh, but they're, they're uh, in the sports world. No, I wouldn't be. Uh, to your point about that, because you know we, we've covered Super Bowls, whatever you know, and, and, and it's a privilege. And I'm in awe of the event. You know, every, every time I'm on the call of a college football national championship or the college football playoff in the semis, I mean, I, I take mental snapshots because it, it, if you never know if that's going to be your last one. So. Running into, you know, the, you can imagine the people you see on the sidelines for the national championship. Uh, that is, it's, it's priceless. But for, in, in the entertainment business, I mean, like if I had to run into Chris Stapleton, I'd be like, damn, maybe bow down, right? I mean, that dude is just a bad man. I mean, I, I, so people like that, yeah, I, I would. I mean, I, but That's as far as the, the, the sports world, no, not, not really. It is funny how you get a little bit immune to it in this business, in this Sadly. sports world. But yeah. for me, it was Bo Jackson. I said that I did host a television show once. He was there. I was a little bit starstruck there. So it happens every once in a while. He's one of the greatest athletes world. of our generation. Well, that's why for me, that was the one. Everybody asks me, who's the biggest athlete that resonated the most with you that you actually met in person? For me, it was him because... And a great everything guy. everything great that he accomplished and he was super super cool absolutely to work with let's talk about what's happening with this michigan science stealing scandal because i mentioned it off the top another day another development this time it's michigan pointing the finger michigan has sent documents to the big 10 that michigan believes show three conference teams engaged in communication about the wolverines signals in 2022 those three teams involved are rutgers ohio state and purdue the allegation is that when purdue who faced michigan in the 2022 big 10 championship they received signals from ohio state and defensive signals from rutgers so offensive signals from ohio state defensive signals from Rutgers to be able to decode what Michigan was doing 
on the field. Now, Michigan beat Rutgers 52 to 17 on November 5th. They beat Ohio State 45 to 23 on November 26th, a game that clinched the East Division for the Wolverines, but apparently a lot of information being shared. This is a weird one now. It feels like a lot of finger pointing at Michigan, so now they're pointing their fingers. Yeah, it, it reeks of desperation, and it also, you know, uh, on it seems very petty. Like, you know, look what they did to us. They were sharing our signals. You know, we were we we were sending an advanced scout allegedly and Connor Stallions. I can't wait till we can, we can remove that one word because the uh, the evidence is overwhelming. The man was buying tickets, you know, uh, via for not just himself at opponents' venues using you know technology, spy glasses at, at Central Michigan and, and their coaches, you know, area allegedly. in the bench area allegedly. <laughs> so to. To, to go well, well, hold on. Rutgers shared our signs with 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 Purdue, and Ohio State shared our signs with Purdue. And uh, so, w- what about that? Well, here's the thing about that, Michigan: that it's not even clear in your sportsmanship, your own conference's sportsmanship policy, if that's even a violation. It's unknown whether there the signal sharing between league teams violates the sportsmanship policy or any NCAA rules. This seems like it just reeks of desperation and a tattletale aspect of, well, if you're coming after us, well, but, 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 but what about them? Sorry, Padna, that dog does not hunt. And here's the biggest thing to remember, that new Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petitti, right now, they if, if they're in, in this investigation into Michigan, they're not going after the team right now. They are going after Jim Harbaugh. The Harbaugh is the target of any potential suspension, not the actual team. And a large part of that, Amber, in my opinion, I'm curious to get yours, is just in something we've talked about for weeks now, is that Petitti also has that TV background. He knows the tens of millions of dollars that are at stake when it comes to the college having a team in the college football playoff. And the, the players did nothing wrong. So, they should not be the ones being punished. And he also doesn't want to punish the other members who get a big cut of that big-ass piece of pie and that money pile that comes along with having a team in the college football playoff. Hence, Harbaugh's a target, not the team. The players rarely do things wrong when we see disciplinary actions against universities, right, against programs, against sports programs. It's often the coaching staff or the administration. There's some violation at the top. And then it's often the players even years later that weren't even on the team when the violation occurred that end up suffering the consequences because you lose whatever your opportunity there to compete for your conference. You have to vacate wins, you vacate titles, whatever it is at the conclusion of the investigation. Once the punishment is handed down, it's all well and good to say, well, we're going to try to focus on punishing Harbaugh. If in fact our investigation finds that this should be happening. However, I have a hard time believing that there would be no fallout to the program itself as well. Right? Because you said, the Big Ten, they can punish Jim Harbaugh with the two-game suspension. It seems like it would be pretty easy to punish him perhaps for more because you'd get the vote. They can appeal to, yeah, to the joint ex- event committee to have a, quote, major violation and punish him further than just a two-game suspension. Right, and it seems like that that would probably 
be okay with the other Big Ten schools involved there. So you could see a longer suspension, but what does it effectively really do? I mean, do we see Jim Harbaugh leave for the NFL anyways after this season? If the NCAA starts getting involved and then they want to issue their own sort, levy their own punishment on Michigan here, what does that look like? Could there be a punishment from the college football playoff committee? Is that even possible? Is that even a thing? So there's a lot to still figure out here. What's interesting, though, is... With this allegation from Michigan against Rutgers, against Ohio State, and against Purdue, we have no idea if the violation that's being alleged was even, in fact, a violation. Because like you said, it's unknown. This is according to our very own Adam Rittenberg, who dropped this Michigan says Rutgers, Ohio State, Purdue shared its insights article today on ESPN.com. It says in this article, it is unknown whether the signal sharing between league teams violates the Big Ten's sportsmanship policy or any NCAA rule. It is unknown. And this is what drives me mad when we're talking about violations and when we're talking about these rules is they are this poorly written. Yeah, I, they are I, this poorly written, and this has been a I mean, this has been something that has plagued the NCAA Ian for years. That it wouldn't be so specifically spelled out, and so yes, after all of this, you probably will have some sort of revision of these rules in a conference, and maybe with the NCAA as well to be more specific about sign stealing, what's allowed, what's not allowed, sign sharing amongst programs. But right now, it may not actually be outlawed, so to speak. Well, uh, and the, the, the college football playoff committee, right, as you mentioned, they're revealing their teams right now. Um, and we'll give you our top six and then the committee's top six in, ju- in just a bit. Uh, but also, uh, you know, one other aspect of, of this in- entire story is that it becomes more comical to me as the days go on. I mean, three weeks ago, we were you know, saying, hey, this is commonplace. They kind of crossed the line. Then it, and more evidence comes out. Now they're the damn Houston Astros banging on trash cans and wearing buzzers. Now you got guys who are allegedly wearing spyglasses. Now you have this. I mean, it's, it, to me, it, it has been an absolute, hull, just a comedy. I mean, it's, it's old school wrapped into Caddyshack, wrapped into you know, whatever other, other great comedic movie that you've ever watched, this is what it, this is what Michigan and sign stealing has turned into right now. And the college football playoff committee, as Boo Corgan told us last week, and he'll join us coming up in about an hour, uh, the college football playoff committee chair, this is an NCAA issue. It's not a college football playoff committee issue. They aren't even considering it when it comes to Michigan and whether they're in the top four or not. I just wonder if eventually that could change. Certainly it won't be changing right now by any means. They are revealing right now on ESPN the top six of the top 25 for the college football playoff standings this week. So we will certainly be getting into those. We will get into our own standings as well. As Ian just mentioned, all of that coming up next. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. McCord, hands Henderson, running left side. Gets to the Rutgers 10. To the 5 goes Henderson to the end zone for a touchdown. You know, our guys are playing hard. They're playing physical and, you know, playing good football down the stretch. We're wearing teams down in the second half. It's intercepted by Ohio State's Hancock. Brings it up the left side to the 30. Gets all the way to the 50-yard line. Hancock to the Rutgers 40. Hancock to the 30. He's going to take it to the house. Jordan Hancock. On a pick six. The defense have shown that before, week after week. That, you know, they're going to make you work the entire field hanging in there, and so we're going to have to continue to do that. The college football playoff committee's top 25 for this week being released right now on ESPN on a live show with those guys. We are going to release our own top four. Who would we have in? The playoffs, if they started today. But first, let's get to what the committee did here, Ian. The committee has Ohio State at number one, Georgia at number two, Michigan at number three, and FSU at number four. Washington, five, Oregon, six, outside looking in at the moment. What do you make of this? Well, I'm a little bit, I I should say surprised. I would have had Washington, actually, I would have flip-flopped this week, this particular week, Washington and Florida State. And maybe it's recency bias because I just saw Washington in person. Their defense, they've got to shore that side of the ball up. Uh, But offensively, good gosh. I mean, Dylan Johnson goes for over 250 yards on the ground. Michael Penix Jr., uh, he's just, he he is locked in right now. And they've gotten over that flu bug. A lot of the, the committee didn't know this. We didn't know this. Nobody really knew it outside of that room that the previous two weeks, they had a massive flu bug just ravaged the entire team. Michael Penix Jr. was on IVs at one point. I mean, it was, you know, from what I was told, I mean, it was, it was bad, really bad. And they never made an excuse as to what they were, how they were playing on the field. That's impressive to me because a lot of coaches would have gone, look, you don't understand. The reason we only won that game by six points when we scored 13, we got a flu bug going through here. You know, so we're just thrilled to get it, come away with a win. We overcame some adversity and found a way. Never heard that from the Huskies. And then next thing you know, they get healthy, and here's a 52 spot, you know, on the road. So I would have had, but that's nitpicky, you know, in personally. So I would have had Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan. I would have had Washington and then Florida State and then Oregon. But I'll tell you this, Amber, Oregon controls their own fate, and they might be right now playing the best football of anybody out there. I mean, they are on a mission. And since that Washington loss, they have been locked in and beaten a snot out of anybody you put in front of them. Well, you mentioned the loss, right? That's the first loss that we see on this top six. That's why they're going to be outside the top five right now. That could all end up sorting itself out by the end of the season, like you said. But because of that loss, of course, they're not going to find themselves in the top five, at least not at this point. When it comes to Washington, yes, they put up 52. The problem, I think, for the committee probably, in terms of moving them up, would be that they allowed 42. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like I said, that the defensive happen. side is a problem. Right. And so I th- I'm guessing that's why that Washington's position didn't change. Because I agree with you. I mean, that high-flying offense – 
obviously what Penix has done here. He is very squarely in the Heisman race right now. So it's a strong argument to be made that they should be a top four team. Florida State, on the other hand, it's been pretty ugly. I haven't been that impressed. They beat Pitt 24 to 7. They clinch a spot in the ACC championship game, but that's the first time that they've done that since 2014. So a very good season from Florida State by all accounts. Some of these wins for FSU have been ugly, but at the same time, that Washington defense has been ugly as well. And I can kind of say that with with all of these teams to some degree, right? Like Georgia hasn't, like Georgia's just one of those teams. Hasn't quite looked like Georgia this season, and yet all they do is win, win, win. It's like the Eagles this season in the NFL. Ohio State, and then, of course, the Michigan factor, which is going to be interesting because the College Football Playoff Committee is not going to hear any of the noise surrounding this sign-stealing scandal. Doesn't impact anything in a postseason at all. Doesn't impact a Heisman race when it comes to Michigan. Right now, they are easily a top three team once you ignore maybe some advantages that perhaps they have had because of the sign stealing and the technology that was utilized there. So it's it's interesting. I don't feel solid that any of these teams are going to be in the current position that they're in when this thing wraps up. Like I could see so many things happening between oh, now yeah. and then. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean... You got, you got yet number nine Ole Miss who comes in the committee now moved Ole Miss up one spot from ten to nine. We'll have that game number nine Ole Miss at Georgia here on ESPN Radio with Mark Kestershire, Kelly Stoffer, and my bloated butt. Uh, but you know if Ole Miss were to be able to take down Georgia, that's a shakeup. Now I don't see it happening, uh, but you also I, I'll give you another one loss team that controls their own destiny, just like Oregon. If Oregon wins out, and 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 Oregon fans, you are big Husky fans. I know that's gonna. It's going to taste like vinegar on your palate, but you want them undefeated when you play them in the Pac-12 title game. If you went out, they went out. We got a rematch in Vegas. We'll have that game here on ESPN Radio. That's sports hate, and I'll, I'll sign me up for it. I'm all in on it. Oregon is not done. They are very much alive. Alabama right now, they've beaten not one, not two, but three teams in the top 20 by the committee standards. And, and their lone loss is to number seven, Texas. Alabama right now is playing some damn good football. I mean, defensively, Jalen Milrow, who will join us coming up later on tonight, quarterback of Alabama, I mean, he is taking his game to a whole nother level. They are legit. Why, and they also control their own destiny. They went out and beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Could you have two SEC teams in? I mean, who the hell knows, right? So... There's so much, as you mentioned, you're spot on that still has to work itself out. So don't get all you know twisted and turned because your team isn't in the top four right now. There's a hell of a lot of ball left to be played, and I promise you, chaos is still a coming. We get twisted and turned because we do things like the live show right now on ESPN where they're <laughs> revealing the rankings and, and we make a whole thing about it. But at the end of the day, of course, the rankings this week don't really ultimately decide anything. It is interesting, though, to see where the committee's heads are at at this point. With Ohio State, you're talking about an Ohio State team that was barely beating Rutgers at half. Oh, no, they were losing at the half, weren't they? They were losing 9-7 to seven in the half of that game. And then they stormed all the way back. Ended up winning by 19 points. and covering the number. Well, I know they ended up they ended up killing them. Fine. Yep. But the point is, they're str- they were struggling for a first half of football. 
I don't feel confident that Ohio State's going to be the number one team. I, I can make the same argument for Georgia. I mean, that was a hard-fought game against Mizzou. Now, Mizzou a hell of a lot better of a team than Rutgers is, but a hard-fought game against Mizzou for Georgia. None of these teams – the thing is with college football right now is there's so much parity, and it's great because in one way I'm so impressed by all of these teams, and in another way I'm unimpressed <laughs> at certain angles – from all of these teams as well. And it makes for a really confusing picture because I don't actually feel like any one singular team here is completely dominant. And that's out, and that's not just the top five. It's some of these other teams in the top 10 that you also mentioned. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, FSU, Washington. Those are your top five. But then you get into the one-loss teams. You've got Oregon, Texas, Bama, Ole Miss, and Penn State rounding out the top 10. Yeah, and all of those, I think Penn State loses this weekend to Michigan. I think Michigan flexes big time this on on Saturday. I really do. And if that's uh, the case, yeah, you could see Michigan number one in these things next week. They haven't played a team that is sniffing the top 25 right now. Right. And they've heard about it all year, and they have boat raced every single team that you've put in front of them. Heck, against Michigan State, they scored more touchdowns than they've given up all season long in one game. I mean, they are so, but again, they've played some really either mediocre or just awful football teams. Now we're going to start to find out they're a three and a half, four point favorite on ESPN bet. I think they cover that number and I think they dominate. And I do mean dominate Penn State because they are now embracing the villain role as their All-American guard, Zach Zinter pointed out earlier this week. This weekend, they continued their streak of scoring 40 or more points in five straight conference games. McCarthy has been phenomenal for them. Coming up next here, back to the NFL we go. Andrew Hawkins joins the conversation on Amber and Ian on ESPN Radio. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rolling along here on Amber and Ian. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So let's get back to reacting to week nine of the NFL. We just broke down the college football playoff committee's rankings for this week. If you miss any of that, check out the podcast on the ESPN app. But let's talk some NFL football. And for that, we bring in Andrew Hawkins, ESPN NFL analyst, former wideout in the league. And Hawks, thanks so much for your time as always. Let's talk first about Monday Night Football. What was your biggest impression coming out of that terrible performance from the Jets, but a pretty decent performance from the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, I had mixed emotions. Obviously, um, I'm happy anytime Justin Herbert looks like his skill set is being utilized and he's playing 
you know, the team is playing to the best of their ability. Because Justin didn't do a bunch to light up the scoreboard, where typically if he doesn't throw for 400 yards, they don't have a chance. And even half the time in those situations, they still lose. On the Jets' side, you know, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of the fingers should be pointed at Nathaniel Hackett. Um, we know what Zach Wilson is and what he isn't. And I just feel like from a schematic and game plan perspective, they're not doing anything to help them out. They are sitting him back in the pocket um, as if they have Aaron Rodgers back there. And that is not what Zach Wilson is great at. There are times when Zach Wilson almost looks oblivious in the pocket of the pressure that is coming to him, which results in some of those turnovers. I would love to see them move him, get him out of the pocket, get him on the run, use his athletic ability, and, and utilize schemes and, and, and patterns that get the ball out of his hands. Let him make quick decisions to just get the ball out of his hand, and I think that's the best version of the Jets' offense. Hawk, oblivious and obliterated. I mean, I could I could beat set that offensive line and, and at least get a sniff of a quarterback. They can't protect the young man. I mean, there we are they're up front. Yeah. They're awful. I completely agree. And here's my, here's my thing about the Jets is that last year they fired Mike Lafleur, right? Because they felt like he wasn't giving them the 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 chance they needed offensively. And if you look comparatively from this year to last year, the Jets' offense last year with Zach Wilson is better than the Jets' offense this year with Zach Wilson. And they actually made more additions in the offseason to beef that up. Now, look, Aaron Rodgers not being there, absolutely. Obviously, he's one of the most talented quarterbacks. It's not the most pure talented quarterback we've ever seen in the National Football League. So him not being there, yes, it's different. But – if your offensive strategy is, hey, we're going to roll out the best quarterback ever, then, then what do we need you for? That is my question. So in this scenario where you have Zach Wilson, you do have some talent, you've added players in the offseason, I would have liked to see the Jets' offense at least take a step forward in that direction, even if it does not mean they're a playoff team or Zach Wilson shows to be this player we haven't seen before. But again, if you are the answer to these offensive woes, prove to us that it's not just the buddy system that you're coming in because Aaron Rodgers is here, show us because it looks a lot like the offense that you were running a year ago in Denver. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that everyone thought, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers is here, so everything's going to go according to plan. It was an old and broken line coming into this season. Even with Aaron Rodgers, he'd probably have some problems behind that thing. Andrew Hawkins, ESPN NFL analyst, joining us here on Amber and Ian. Let's move on from the New York Jets. Let's talk about another loss, but a very hard-fought loss for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. What did you make of that very close loss from Dallas against Philly? You know, I, I think they have some offensive line troubles they have to get figured out um, really quickly. Otherwise, you know, their ceiling is going to be a lot lower than people think that their talent um, should actually be the case. But that being said, I mean, we've seen a better version of Dak. The, the, the questions around Dak are never his ability. We know the ability is there. The question is, when the game is in critical moments or your team needs you to put a drive together or a play together, do you have the ability – to put that on full display? Are you playing with confidence? Are you going to be able to, you know, go off script and make the plays that aren't perfectly schemed for you? And I think Dak showed that. I think that's why everybody feels so good about the Cowboys in a loss. I mean, you would think if you just, you know, watched your TVs on mute after the Eagles and Dallas game, you would probably think the Cowboys won because nobody's talking about the Eagles team that actually did get the W. And it's because we finally got a glimpse of what Dak could be in critical moments in big games. And that's the version of Dak 
that he's going to have to build on because it wasn't perfect, but he's going to have to build on that for them truly to get ready for the postseason. Well, we mentioned that last night, Hawk. I mean, you know, everyone's talking about, well, what, what was the problem? It wasn't Dak. What was the problem with Dallas? How about we credit the Philadelphia Eagles with the best record exactly. in the NFL? Give them a hell of a lot of props for finding a way to get a W. You played for half the teams in the AFC North. There is not mm-hmm. a single team in that division that is not at least two games above 500. What do you make of <laughs> that division right now, man? Yeah, I mean, we came into the season – thinking that this is going to be the best division in football. There were times early on in the year where they were like, oh, we were tricked. But no, you know, here we are at the midway point. And I would still say this is the best and most competitive division in football, a real chance for all four teams to end up in the playoffs. Now, that being said, what we know the Steelers have is incredible coaching because Kenny Pickett hasn't looked apart, to be honest. And there's still a lot to be desired. He has to take some major steps for them to truly make noise. The Browns have an incredible defense. Uh, the Bengals finally have Joe Burrow back, right? He's healthy, and he's looking like the Joe Burrow we've seen over the last couple of years. But if I was going to pick a team that I feel the most confident in, it's the Ravens because they've been the most consistent. Their defense is just as good as any of the other defenses. And also offensively, you've watched them slowly uh, iterate on Munkin's offense to truly fit his personnel, and they've gotten a little bit better every single week. Lamar is playing within the system. He is not trying to overextend himself, and they're not fully relying on him and putting the responsibility on his shoulders to show offensive production. And so that's why, for me, again, even in their losses, a play here or there, those are Ws. I could easily see the Ravens being undefeated at this point in the season. Do you have the Ravens being the best team in just the division or the very best team in the entire conference? Yeah, I would say in the entire, entire AFC. I mean, right now I would say it's the Eagles on the NFC side and the Ravens on the AFC side, besides the fact of the consistency, besides the fact of the record, besides the fact – that the records are good, it is they are built the right way, which is in the trenches. Offensive line and defensive line, we get enamored with skill positions. We all trick ourselves and our favorite teams into thinking, oh, we're just a quarterback away from a Super Bowl, when the reality is, at the beginning of time, good teams are built on the offensive and defensive line, and that's why those teams have been so consistent. And teams like the Eagles have had a chance to work the kinks out while still getting W's because, honestly, in that Cowboys game, that defensive line came to play when it was time to get a win. On those fourth and ones in that run game for the Eagles, if the pass game isn't working, we're just going to bully the other side of the ball. And that's just football, no matter what generation you're in. Hawk, have you ever seen a defensive lineman, especially an edge rusher like Miles Garrett, when he goes from one <laughs> side of the ball, and you're laughing already, one side, and then you have the double team following him to the other side. And he goes back to the other side and then back again like he did against the Titans, right? And he's going to delay a game. And then he's, he's doing crossover, you know, mock dribbles over the center and the guard. And they're like, what in the hell is going on? Can you please try and sum up what Miles Garrett and that Browns defense is doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they have a, a, a LeBron James player and they're just playing around. My son plays a Spider-Man video game, and he beats the game so quick after I buy it for him that he has to go do all these side missions to make it fun. And he makes it really hard on himself so that he can finally feel something. I feel like that's what you're seeing with Miles Garrett. Like, if it was just straight up playing, it'd be too easy for him. So when you see him messing around at the line of scrimmage or running back and forth, it's like, now I want to see how hard I can make it on myself and do things that maybe you've never seen a D-lineman do. And to be honest, I watch every single Browns game as a former Browns player. Miles Garrett, by far the best defensive player. You can make a real argument that he's their best offensive player because he has forced fumbles that turn directly <laughs> into touchdowns. He has blocked field goals. The moments when they need points in these games, 
It hasn't been the offense producing them. It's been Miles Garrett making some ridiculous play and putting them on the one-yard line, putting them on the 15-yard line to kick a field goal. It's literally he is by far the MVP of that team, and I think he'll end up being the defensive player of the year in the league. Yeah, too bad he doesn't make 230 guaranteed like that guy who's supposed to be leading the offense on that team, Andrew Hawkins, ESPN NFL analyst, joining us here on Amber and Ian. Is Bill Belichick, Hawk, going to be the coach of the Patriots after this season? That's a good question. I feel like if he is not, it's going to be his decision and not the Patriots' decision to move on from him. I think he's earned that to be able to have a couple of rough seasons. If he wants to continue to coach, he should be able to. For what he's given that organization. That being said, it has to be a shift in mindset. Bill Belichick, who says, do your job, and it's about the, the whoever puts the team in the best position to win will understand that better than anybody. I feel like they've gotten a little, you know, greedy in the sense that they had Tom Brady, and they could put any weapon around Tom Brady, and he figures it out. The Chiefs are going through that now. They thought that they could put any receiver out there and that their offensive prowess would always maintain. That is not the case. And if in the event the Patriots are in a position to get one of these top quarterbacks we're talking about, which right now they are in that position coming to 2024 draft, and Bill Belichick stays on, my hope is that the change in philosophy happens and that you have to put talent around your quarterback if he is not one of the three best talented quarterbacks in the league um, in history, and that is with Tom Brady, Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. Like this whole idea that you can just shovel anybody out there does not work. And that puts you in the position that the organization is in at the moment. When you get on the sticks with your son, are you taking it easy on him? Or are you just trying to whip his ass? Yeah, I, I wish I could say I take it easy on him, but I can't beat him. I mean, he puts in so he's put his ten thousand hours in. I don't have a chance. My son <laughs> whoops me every single time to the point where I'm like, let's go play real basketball, man. Let's go play real football. Like I, I, I threaten him that way. He's 11 years old. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> it's a, he's 11. That's awesome. <laughs> let's go on the hardwood right now, buddy, because I'm tired of getting kicked or killed on this couch. That's only going to work for so long. You only got a few more year, years left of exactly. that threat there. Andrew Hawkins, ESPN NFL analyst. Thanks, Hawk. Thank you, guys. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we continue with the NFL talk and plenty more. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. Snap to Jones. Washington breaks forward. Pressure up the middle. Throws over the center of the field. That was popped up the air. Picked off. It is picked off. Quan Martin at the 32-yard line. And Washington's going to get a win in New England. It's frustrating. and It's not on one person or one player at all. We're all in it together, and I can throw a better ball. So I'll watch the film and see what I can do. Fix my part. Just disappointing result. Just got to do a better job of making the plays and we have the opportunities to make them. It's as simple as that. After nine weeks of watching NFL football, let's talk at this midseason point about what we have learned so far, Ian Fitzsimmons. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons with you here on Amber and Ian. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me at Amber W Sports. So I'll let you take the floor, your midseason impressions. I mean, first of all, let me start with and, and be a Debbie Downer here. New England. I, I am stunned that they did not take a step forward offensively, bringing Bill O'Brien back to New England where he won the Super Bowls with Tom Brady. I know that's Tom Brady, but Bill O'Brien went to Houston, went to Penn State after Joe Paterno, won there, goes to the Houston Texans, wins there. You know, and since he left the Texans until this year, 
he damn near belonged in Canton because they, after they, they fired him, they went into a ditch the size of the Grand Canyon. So you bring him back in, and I'm expecting to see Mac Jones, Alabama, Mac Jones, rookie year, New England, and it has been horrendous, not just on the offensive side, the defensive side. I mean, it, it is, it's a total team disaster. So here at the midway point, my biggest surprise is that New England didn't take a step forward. They actually took four steps backwards, and this might be the end of Belichick in New England. You know, it's interesting because I, too, thought that maybe Bill O'Brien would give a little boost. But also, when you look at the personnel on that roster, you can also understand there's only so much Bill O'Brien can do. And that's also Mac Jones as well. Mac Jones ain't Tom Brady. That's clear at this point in Mac Jones' career. (laughs) But nobody is. And so if that's where the standard is, then everybody's going to fail at meeting that standard. Here's what we knew from Mac Jones' rookie season. If he was put in a decent position, then like he could manage an offense decently, right? Which really should be what you need. However, the problem that plagued them throughout Tom Brady's entire career, frankly, but obviously his greatness covered up for a very long time until he didn't want to bother covering it up anymore was the lack of weapons, right? Where, yes, they had the Gronks of the world, but they had a lot of crud around Tom Brady for a lot of years that he made work because he was the greatest ever. And Mac Jones ain't that. And so when you put crud around Mac Jones, it's probably not going to look the same. The personnel pieces, the way that the drafting has gone for Bill the last four years, I think there's a lot of criticism here to be had, not for Bill Belichick, the coach, because I'm not willing to have that conversation about Bill Belichick not being a good coach. I mean... (laughs) hold up the rings, right? And I don't care. I I get he had Tom Brady, but come on. It takes more than just one dude on that roster. I am, however, willing to have a conversation about Bill Belichick, the GM, because I do think Tom Brady was covering a lot of that up. And you can't cover that up anymore because Brady's not there, of course. Mac Jones isn't quite the same player. And just overall, the last half decade, it's been pretty atrocious. The, a lot of the moves that he's made, they just haven't worked out. You know, as a, as a Dolphins fan, I think it's so interesting because it's like you, you watched that team, that Dolphins team in your division all those years. And if you're Bill, you thought, you know what we should do? We should go get the pieces from that team. We should bring in Devontae Parker. (laughs) He didn't work out in Miami, but let's bring him here. He's going to be the answer. He's going to be the thing that puts Mac Jones, Mike Gusecki. Like, he's going to be the thing that puts Mac Jones over the top. What? It it just, some of these personnel moves just make no sense to me. Uh, Look, I'm not going to disagree with that one bit. Another midseason observation as we are at the midway point in uh, in the NFL 2023 campaign. The AFC North is doing this year what we thought the AFC West was going to do last year, and that is be the most dominant division in football. The AFC West fell remarkably short last season. The Right now, every team in the AFC North is at least two games over 500, and the point differential for the Baltimore Ravens is a plus 115. They scored 115 more points than they've given up. Second closest in the entire NFL is the Bills at plus 80. Damn, that's dominant. It's been dominant, and a lot of people are making a big deal about this entire division. If the postseason started tomorrow, they'd all be in, yada, yada. I mean, I I just, I have a hard time 
believing in the Steelers. The Browns leave a lot to be desired from an offensive perspective, although that defense, I still argue, might be the best defense in the National Football League. I do think the Bengals are heating up at the right time. I just wonder if they dug themselves too deep of a hole in the beginning of the season, but we've seen this story from the Bengals before, and they have a way of digging themselves out of it. The Ravens are legitimately a very, very good team. They should be a good team. They should have been a good team going into this season. I don't know why any of us are surprised. I guess because it it didn't look great off the start, but of course it wasn't going to look great initially. You're adjusting to an entirely new OC and a new playbook if you're Lamar Jackson. So it was going to have a little growing pains and the growing pains for the Baltimore Ravens looks like seven and two (laughs) and sitting atop the division. So that's a very dominant team. The rest of that division, I just don't know if I genuinely believe in it, even though, yes, I get right now they're all well above 500 and they'd all be in a postseason if it ended today. So a lot of people are making a huge deal about that, but Overall, I don't know if the dominance is there from every piece there in the AFC North. My impression when we're talking about teams being what they should have been or what we thought they were going to be, like in the Baltimore Ravens, is some of these bad teams also are what we thought they were going to be. I would say with the exception of the Houston Texans, because the future, although the Texans are still not good in terms of record, the Texans' future looks incredibly bright. It is rare that you can feel good about a, a coach right off the bat, right? A coaching staff, and it feels like they have that in D'Amico Ryan's, their guy. And then also... C.J. Stroud, what he's done, we don't often get to see that where the guy comes in as a rook and looks that phenomenal on a bad team. We spent a lot of time, oh, you, if you're a top pick, you don't get to go to the best teams, so it's so hard to show that you're great, and somehow it hasn't been hard for C.J. Stroud. Man, they're 500. If you had told me at the midway point the Texans will be a 500 football team, I'd have told you you were drunk and, man, smoking some serious, serious Marahucci. Yeah. I mean, because there's no way I'd dream they would be 500. Five hundo right now. Another one for me uh, at the mid midway point here in the NFL. The Eagles are on pace to do what few teams have been able to do in the history of the NFL, and that is lose a Super Bowl and then the following year get back to the Super Bowl. Doesn't happen very often. Be careful. Doesn't happen. I am not there with the Eagles at all. Now this Ooh. might be the hater in me. I don't know. Uh, I but. That schedule. This gets is the midway real, point right now. That midway schedule point gets real ugly from hey, here on out. We're that talking second half mid, doesn't look like that first half. Amber, we're talking midway. They have the best record in the entire league. You got to give credit they where do, credit is due. But man, it has not looked pretty. Jalen doesn't look quite right. He got outplayed by Dak this past week. Going into a bye week. That's fine, but it has not looked pretty for the Eagles in any of these wins. The record is a record. I cannot argue with the record. There's just something about that Eagles team. Baker Mayfield is a mid-season observation for me. I feel like, and this gets lost because of that loss for the Bucks this past weekend and obviously what CJ did at the end of that game for the Texans, but what Baker did at the end of that game as well, <laughs> bringing the Bucks yep. back, putting them in that position to win, that shouldn't get lost in this. Just sort of the resurgence of Baker Mayfield's career in Tampa has been interesting to see. Yeah, they're not, not a good Bucks he, team. He's not but, the reason that they've lost four straight. Right. I mean, it's not a good Bucks team, but I do feel like Baker has shown something here that we weren't sure that Baker was going to get another opportunity in the National Football League to show. So that's been one of those midseason takeaways for me. The Las Vegas Raiders are a mess. Maybe we'll have this conversation after the second half, and it'll be very, very different with Antonio Pierce leading the way. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian is at the end of the road for the head man in New England.